guys. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Scripture. Hopefully you've heard that we are now on podcasting apps. You can find Talking Scripture on Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. Can you take just a minute to rate and subscribe to our podcast? That will go a long way in helping people find us. Today we have a special bonus episode. We wanted to share a wonderful talk that Bryce gave that starts in section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants, but he goes all over the place. He uh, is basically teaching this idea that we have a tendency to kind of be hard on ourselves and to compare ourselves to others. And so what Bryce is going to do here is illustrate how God views us and how we should view ourselves. I think you'll love this podcast and hope that it will be helpful to you and your loved ones. And once again, thanks for joining us. One of the great gems of the Doctrine and Covenants is section 25 given to Emma Smith, calling her an elect lady. It is the only section given to a woman. It is a tender scene as Heavenly Father speaks to one of his daughters. It is sacred ground, and it is hallowed, and it is with great reverence that I address it. I've been a little nervous to make this recording because I want so very much to be helpful. Um, and to bless lives, and I pray that as you listen, the Holy Ghost will be with you, and he will teach you more than I will. Because as Heavenly Father speaks to Emma, he shares a concern. It is a concern that I think he has with all of his daughters. Not just daughters, his sons certainly share this concern, but it's very common among his daughters. And I don't want this to come across as a critique or criticism, but as an observation that maybe might be helpful. Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 4, the Lord says to Emma, now notice in verse 3, he says, she's an elect lady. I'll give you a little bit of homework, something that I'm not going to do, because I'd like to focus on this one idea. But if you'll go through section 25 and make a list of what made Emma an elect lady. You'll have a wonderful image. What is an elect lady? But the first thing Heavenly Father says is a bit of a concern, something that is common among his daughters. Verse 4, Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, for they are withheld from thee and from thy, the world, which is wisdom in me, in a time to come. Now, clearly, he's making reference to the gold plates. And I don't, I hope this isn't inappropriate. But I believe this is a much deeper observation than just don't murmur because you haven't seen the plates, Emma. I think this is a generic concern about Heavenly Father's daughters. Now, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. Maybe just let me take you on a little journey of to just simply share why I think this is a concern to Heavenly Father. If you'll turn to Doctrine and Covenants, or excuse me, the Pearl of Great Price. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. The very first, what I call the first temptation. Turn to the Pearl of Great Price. Moses chapter 3. I want you to focus on the word every. Now tell me, what is Heavenly Father pointing at when he uses the word every? So he's planted the Garden of Eden, and he's put Adam and Eve in the, tr in the garden. In verse 16, this is Moses 3, verse 16, And I, the Lord, commanded the man, saying, 
Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So tell me what is he pointing at when he says the word every. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. When he says every, what's he pointing to? Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat. He's pointing to all the trees they can partake from. Of every tree in the garden. You can eat from any one of these. Look at all that you can do. Look at all that you have. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Just not this one. You may eat all of these other trees. Heavenly Father will always point out all that you have, all that you are, all that you can do. That is his tendency. Look at everything that I have done in your life. Now contrast that with chapter 4. When Satan makes his appearance, he's going to use the exact same word. But tell me what he does. Notice in verse 7, this is Moses 4. Verse 7, and he said unto the woman, I don't mean to dig into that, I don't mean to make more of that, but I, it, why is it that he came to Eve with this? I, I just, in my observation, is this is what Heavenly Father's daughters do to each other. He came to Eve and he said, Hath not God said, ye shall not eat from every tree of the garden? In other words, he comes to Eve and says, wait a minute, Eve, didn't Heavenly Father say you could eat from every tree? Now clearly, what's he pointing to? When he says the word every, what tree is he looking at? Hey, Eve, didn't Heavenly Father say you could eat from every tree? He's pointing at the one tree she's been told not to partake of. Satan will always point out your flaws. He will always point out what you can't do or what you aren't. Heavenly Father, on the other hand, will always point out all your blessings, all your strengths. Of every tree thou mayest freely eat. Look at what I made when I created you. Look at all the wonderful things. And Satan comes along and points out the one flaw. Now tell me, sisters. Which one of those two voices do you listen to the most frequently? Do you see all that you are? Or do you focus on the flaw? It is my observation, after teaching tens of thousands of Latter-day Saint women, after being married to a wonderful woman for 28 years, whom I absolutely adore, after raising four wonderful daughters, it is my observation that Heavenly Father's daughters have a tendency to listen to the wrong voice. They ignore the 99 wonderful qualities they possess. And they see the one flaw, the one thing they aren't, or they can't have, or they don't do. They see the flaw. And they tear themselves down. Now let me use an Old Testament example. If you'll turn to 1 Samuel 18. Now 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. David, this pipsqueak, this shepherd boy, conquers Goliath. 
Saul, who was the king, the champion, the military man, he was outdone. It is Saul that has been leading the army of Israel. Saul has been the one that has kind of shown his grit and led them and served them. He's been a good military leader. And along comes David, and in one flip of his wrist, he becomes the hero. So now turn to chapter 18. They're coming back from the battle of David, of Goliath. Verse 6, the women start to sing. Now what do they sing in verse 7? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now watch what Saul does. Simply because something good happened to David. Watch what Saul does. Verse 8. Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Notice the word but. They have ascribed unto David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. He's tearing himself down simply because someone else did something good. That's soul disease. And that's the temptation of so many wonderful women. They ignore the 99 wonderful qualities. They walk into Relief Society and they see the woman with perfect hair and they're very sensitive to maybe their hair is thinning. And they tear themselves down. They butt themselves. Oh, Heavenly Father has made her so beautiful. But he hasn't done that to me. Or the woman who's you know, sensitive to her mothering skills sees the other woman who seems, whose children seem to be angels. And she butts herself. She tears herself down because something good has happened in someone else's life. I have taught teenagers for many years. I have taught young adults and teenagers, and it's just so funny to watch girls come into a room. See, boys will come into a room, and they'll check out the room. They're looking for the prettiest girl in the room. Girls will walk, come into a room, and they'll check out the room, and they're not looking for the best-looking guy. They're looking for the prettiest girl in the room. And if there is that beautiful girl, I've watched them. They tear themselves down. I had one of my institute students in college tell me that she liked a boy who liked some other girl. And every time she saw that other girl, she couldn't help but say, now why does he like her instead of me? And she'd see a thousand reasons. Oh, yeah, that's why. Oh, yeah, she's so much prettier than I am. Oh, yeah, clearly she's better than I am. I can totally see why he likes her more than me. And she butts herself. She tears herself down simply because something good is happening in someone else's life. It's, it has to be displeasing to Heavenly Father when his daughters tear themselves down, when they 
see what they can't or aren't. And they tear themselves down. Let me give you an antidote. Let me give you the opposite of Saul's situation, where Saul tears himself down. He butts himself. Because David, they've ascribed unto David 10,000, and, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Turn with me to Alma chapter 29. Now here's the situation. Five very good friends were very, very rebellious, and they went about destroying the church. When an angel came and struck them down, they all repent. They all became missionaries. Now four of the five go on a very, very cool mission. I mean, of all the cool missions to go preach to the Lamanites, that's got to be the coolest. The fifth of the, of the friends, he didn't go to the Lamanites. He stayed and reactivated some inactives. After 17 years, they meet. And the situation of their meeting is very significant. If you know the history of the Book of Mormon, their meeting is very significant because Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni are returning from the Lamanites with thousands of converts. That's just cool. Alma is coming home from Ammoniah, where he'd been thrown in prison, and they burned the women and the children, and the entire city got destroyed. That's the situation of their meeting. Alma meets Ammon with thousands of Lamanite converts, and as he looks behind him, he sees a burned, destroyed city. You see the potential to butt himself, to tear himself down. There's a natural tendency to say, oh, well. <laughs> but notice what Alma chooses to do. First of all, how does he feel about himself? If you're in the Book of Mormon, go to Alma chapter 29. Notice he begins by, I do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things that the Lord hath allotted unto me. I shouldn't play the game of why didn't I get that or why couldn't I be that. I ought to be content with the things that the Lord hath allotted unto me. Now listen to verse, 20, verse 9. Oh, how I wish every member of the church would memorize verse 9. I wish every one of my daughters, every girl, every female that I teach, all of us for that matter, but particularly Heavenly Father's daughters, would have this moment where Alma says, I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory in myself. It's not pride. I glory in God. I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. When... Are we going to have that moment? Where, when are we all, but specifically when are Heavenly Father's daughters going to have the moment where they say, I know what Heavenly Father made me, and I glory in it. That's the moment. It's not pride. A lot of people think that I can't rejoice in my, one, in my abilities. I can't rejoice in what Heavenly Father, because that's pride. No, 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 listen carefully. I know who I am. I know what he has blessed me with. I know the body he's given me. I know the talents. I know what he's given me, and I 
glory in it because it came from him and it's what he wanted me to have it has got to be displeasing to heavenly father and this is where we're going to get back to section 25 it has got to be displeasing to heavenly father when his daughters compare themselves to others and tear themselves down and feel bad and feel less of themselves we all need to have this moment where like Alma we say I know who I am I know who he made me and I glory in it it's not a prideful yeah I'm so much better it's a, I am grateful that Heavenly Father loves me and would bless me with this pathway through mortality. I know the body he gave me. I know the family he put me in. I know the challenges. I know the physical limitations that he gave me. And I glory in that because it's what he chose for me. It's the path that he chose for me. And again, don't take that to an extreme. We ought to do our best to improve ourselves. But there comes a point where we ought to say, I glory in what God made me. Now, look at that. That's step number one, is where we say in verse 9, I know who I am and I glory in it. Now, go to verse 14. What does he say about the success of his brethren who have been down to the land of the Lamanites? Notice in verse 14, he says, my joy is more full. My joy is more full because wonderful things are happening to you. Oh, if we could just have this moment where we say, I am grateful for the path that God has placed me on. I'm grateful for the talents, the abilities, the circumstances, the situation. I'm grateful for my life. And what Heavenly Father made me, with all the limitations and all the blessings, I am grateful because I'm honored that that's what he chose for me. He loves me. He has a place in his kingdom for me. And this is my way to get back to him. I honor him for making me who I am. And the fact that you can do something else or that you have something or that you're just beautiful or that you're a wonderful mother, or that all these things happen to you, that makes me even happier. I glory in what God has done in your life. Because he loves you, and he wants you to go to his kingdom, and your life is your path there. And when we get there, no one will be better than anyone else. And it won't matter who has what, because we will all be co-equal to God. Do you just sense that identity, that feeling, that... Now go back to the words he utters to Emma. And see if maybe you now see deeper meaning. This is more than just the gold plates. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen. Or in other words, murmur not because of the things that are withheld from thee. Because it is wisdom in me. I know what I'm doing. I made you great. I gave you a path through mortality that is wonderful. Murmur not 
because there was something I didn't give you. Murmur not because someone else got a different path. I love you. I love them. Rejoice in what you are and let your joy be more full because of what they are. Murmur not because of the things which have been withheld from thee. It is wisdom in me. I love that. I love Mary's response to the angel that when she was going to be pregnant, an unwed pregnant Jewish girl, and she says to the angel, be it unto me according to thy will. I accept, Lord, the path you want me to follow. Be it unto me according to thy will. Let me just leave you with the words of uh, Pat Holland. Uh, just a wonderful quotation. Um, now, if you know, Pat Holland is married to Jeffrey R. Holland. And a lot of people don't know Pat. She's much quieter. I love this quotation from Pat Holland. She said, Our Heavenly Father needs us as we are, as we are growing to become. He has intentionally made us different from one another so that even with our imperfections, we can fulfill his purposes. My greatest misery comes when I feel I have to fit what others are doing or what I think others expect of me. I am most happy when I am comfortable being me and trying to do what my Father in Heaven and I expect me to be. For many years I have tried to measure the oft-times quiet, reflexive, thoughtful Pat Holland against the robust, bubbly, talkative, and energetic Jeff Holland and others with like qualities. I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you can't have joy in being bubbly if you are not a bubbly person. It is a contradiction of terms. I have given up seeing myself as flawed because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does nor as fast. Giving this up has freed me to embrace and rejoice in my own manner and personality in the measure of my creation. Ironically, that has allowed me to admire and enjoy Jeff's qualities even more. Somewhere, somehow, the Lord helped me see that my personality was created to fit precisely the mission and talents he gave me. For example, the quieter, calmer talent of playing the piano reveals much about the real Pat Holland. I would never have learned to play the piano if I hadn't enjoyed the long hours of solitude required for its development. This same principle applies to my love of writing, reading, meditation, and especially teaching and walking with my children. Miraculously, I have found that I have untold abundant sources of energy to be myself. But the moment I indulge in imitation of my neighbor, I feel fractured and fatigued and find myself forever swimming upstream. When we frustrate God's plan for us, we deprive this world and God's kingdom of our unique contributions and a serious schism settles in our soul. 
God never gave us any task beyond our ability to accomplish it. We just have to be willing to do it our own way. We will always have enough resources for being who we are and what we can become. That's a beautiful quotation. Now, do you sense in that what the Lord was talking to Emma about? Murmur not, because there are things that I didn't give you, that I may have given someone else. It is wisdom in me. Trust him. Have that Alma 29.9 moment where you say to him, Lord, I am grateful for who I am. I know who the Lord made me. And I glory in it, not pridefully because I glory in God, not myself. I glory that God made me that way. And when you have that moment, have another moment. Have the Alma 29.14 moment where because you've accepted who you are, you can then find great joy in what God has done in the life of others. May you find happiness. May you rejoice in what God has done in your life. I testify to you. He did it purposely. He has wonderful blessings in store for you. He loves you. And your life is his best gift to you. Embrace it and be you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.